Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. Isaiah chapter 55, I'm going to begin reading at verse 8. It says this, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Notice that. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it, it, it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of thorn, notice this, instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree. And instead of the briar, briar shall come up the myrtle tree. It's almost saying, he said, there was an expectation for, for something bad to happen. But instead, I turned it around for the good. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign, that they shall not be cut off. And I'm going to stop there. I want to talk to you this morning for a few moments on the subject of trusting the credibility of the king. Trusting the credibility of the king. In life, even as I, I talked about earlier when we talked about the Bible and we're cutting up about the Bible, but many of us, especially in this day and age, have now, you know, resorted or turned to many electronics that we use. We have iPads, we have uh, laptops that are more advanced and computers that are getting more and more advanced and our phones are going on all types of new levels and technology and there's things that we're able to do with our phones now that we could never do before. I remember having one of my first phones was in when we had when they had the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta and it they did the little flip analog phone that had the little digital, and that thing was big and bulky, and the battery was huge on the back. But I love the fact that it would flip out and that you could talk. And during that time, cell phones weren't really popular. And when you had one, you were considered to be cool if you had one. You know, because prior to that, they used to have what they have, what they called the bag phones. Anybody remember the bag phones that you carried in the bag? But it's amazing how they went from a bag and they went to the hand. And now they're getting thinner and smaller, but they can do a whole lot more. But the thing is, is I, I, it's amazing how much we depend on these devices today. And how much we trust in them today. I can look at my own self. I cannot tell you the last number I have memorized. Uh, for all of my numbers are just stored. I couldn't tell you my own home phone number right now if you ask me. And that's the truth. I memorize about three numbers. Mine, my wife's, and 911. That's probably the extent of my memory. Everything else is inside of my phone. I'm not the only one, so don't judge me. But I'm just telling you. 
And, and it's amazing because these phones have the ability in, in a certain extent, we trust it sometimes to even think for us or, or do things for us that at one time we had to do for ourselves. But the interesting thing about it is this, is that even though we have these phones, we have these types of technology and, and, and we rely on them a lot, I wonder if I were to take a poll this morning, even in this service, and ask people, you, you, you depend on that a lot, you trust it a lot, but could you really, could you tell me that you really understand how it operates? Because, see, I, I, I still don't understand how we went from buttons to a touch screen, you know, that we can touch it. And, and I don't understand how this screen lights up. And I don't understand how it transitions. And I still don't understand how Siri can, can pick up my voice and do all these different things and, and respond to it. But, but I don't understand how the Wi-Fi connections work and, and this IP address and that IP address and go here and go there. This key, web keys, all kind of keys. All, I don't understand any of that and even on daily like many of you I use a computer every day print things out and sort through things but never do I sit down at that computer and say before I begin to use you or depend on you and trust you I have to understand how you work but every day I walk into the office, I go about, I pick up my coffee, I walk on in, I hit the button, I sit down, and I say, here we go, let's get started. There's no question. I go in with an expectation that it's going to do what I want it to do. I go in with an expectation that it, I can rely on it, and whatever I need it to do, it's going to do for me without any question. I don't ask my computer, are you going to work for me today? Are you going to function to me, for me today. No, I go in trusting that it's going to do what it was created to do. But the problem is, it's amazing how we naturally have a tendency to trust in things that we don't understand naturally, but we begin to struggle when it comes to trusting God spiritually when we don't understand how he operates. We don't ask Siri for an explanation, but we always want God to give explanations. But the problem is, is we've got to get to a place that we can trust the credibility of our king, regardless if, if he's always having to explain himself. I'm amazed at how we trust in things. I begin that we don't understand. I thought about it. I don't understand how, how, you know, they said they have these nonstick pans. They have a non-stick material on a pan. Well, if it's non-stick, how do they get it to stick on the pan? But that doesn't mean I'm going to stop using mine. I don't understand. They have the, they have the destructive box. The, 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 they said that the, that's the black box in airplane, the indestructible box, it cannot be destroyed. Well, here's a question. If the box is indestructible, why don't they make the whole airplane out of the same material as the box? I don't understand why they won't do that. But you know what? I, it won't stop me from getting on Delta. It won't stop me from flying. Can I go another further? I don't understand how a brown cow can, can eat green grass and produce white milk. But you know what? I'm going to still have me some ice cream every now and then. It don't, I don't have to understand it to trust it. We say in God we trust. We put it on our money. But do we really trust God with our money? Ooh, I know that's early for all that, isn't it? 
It's amazing. We tr- Watch this. I, I don't understand meteor- meteorologists. Listen, they hyped us up for months about El Nino. We're out getting sandbags and, 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 and all kind of stuff. Spent money that didn't even need to be spent. Oh, we went off the word of a meteorologist who tried to predict a weather pattern. We still do it. Here's the thing. Some of you, when the meteorologist, I've learned, he'll say, it's going to rain tomorrow. I was like, you lying. And, you know, at one time when I first moved here, I was getting umbrellas and everything. And then I started figuring out something. This mess don't happen none of the time they say it's going to rain. But how quick that we'll plan all around. We'll trust in the meteorologist, offer predictions. But we struggle when God gives us a promise. We have to learn to trust the credibility of the king. Why do, how do we get there? I believe, and, and I can even say in my own life, I think one of the reasons is because we come more convenient with trusting in ourselves. Where does that come from oftentimes? Oftentimes we begin to put, rely and trust on ourselves because we've had a history of broken trust with other people. Because we've gone through situations where we trusted people and we, we gave our hearts to people and we reached out to people. We established relationships and they hurt us or they did something to us and that trust was broken. And so in an attempt to protect our heart from being ever broken again, what we say is I won't trust anybody anymore. And if I need something done, I'll do it myself. But the problem with that is you take that same dysfunction into your relationship with Jesus and you're still trying to do things yourself that you cannot do because of a broken relationship that somebody else had with you but can I tell you that we broke the relationship come on with Jesus but he has not given up on us to the extent that he went to die on a cross to oh come on redeem us back to himself Let me show you the futility of trusting in yourself. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 5, he says, Thus saith the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. In other words, I don't depend on God, I trust in me. And notice what it said, he shall be like, it says, for he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness and in a salt land which is not inhabited. Let me paraphrase and translate. You will be barren and unfruitful ultimately. But then Jeremiah said, don't get upset. Now let me show you how to flip this thing around. Because in verse 17, he says, when you trust in God though, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the the Lord. He shall be like a tree planted by the waters, spread out its roots by a river. He will not fear when heat comes. His leaf will always be green. He will not be anxious even in the drought, nor will he cease from yielding fruit. I put it like this. When you trust in God, you'll be planted. You'll be protected. You'll be preserved. You'll have peace and you'll always produce. He didn't say hard times wouldn't come, but he said, I can still make you fruitful even in the midst of hardship I can still bring something good even when times are bad understand we often talk about having a faith fight but I believe there's many of us that are in trust trials we talk about faith fights 
What do you mean a trust trial? Matthew 8 chapter 2, Matthew chapter 8 verse 2 says this, And behold, a leper came to him and worshipped. Listen to these words. Saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Listen to the words of this leper. He said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. The leper didn't have a problem believing that God could. He was trusting, he was struggling, trusting that he would. He said, I don't doubt that you can. I've heard about you. I've heard everything that you can do. I don't struggle with my faith in your ability. I'm struggling with my trust in your care. Oh God, in your credibility. Because see, we, we will believe that God can, but we struggle and trust that he will. I believe he can do anything. He's sovereign. He's got all power. He owns the, the, the come on, he's, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He has all power. He can do anything. But the question is, uh, uh, we believe that he can, but do you trust that he will? Listen to this. We, be, we believe that he can, but do we trust that he will? Understand that when a, a person's, watch this, Actions are only as reliable as their character. Oh, I'm going to say that again. Their actions is only as reliable as their character. What do you mean by that? Let me, let me say it like this. Numbers 29, 13 says this about God. God is not a man that he should lie. He's not a, a human, so he does not change his mind. He has, he, has, he, has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? He says, I'm, you know what we used to say when when we would trust somebody? He said, he's good for it. Because that means that we have, watch this, we have a track record with this person. They have shown themselves credible because they have been those who have kept their word and always do what they say they were going to do. So if somebody says, hey, Johnny asked me to borrow $5, and if you know Johnny, you'll look at Johnny. Oh, absolutely, he's good. Why do they say he's good? Because he has proven himself faithful and credible. Can I tell you something about God this morning? I don't care how bad things may be. He's good for it. He's good for your trust. He's good for your faith. He is not a man. If he gave you a promise, he will fulfill it. If he gave you a word, it will come to pass. He's not a man. Quit minimizing God down to humanity. Quit minimizing God to our low level of thinking. He says, I'm not that type of person. I don't toy with your emotions. I don't play with your mind. If I said I'm going to do it, I will do it because I'm God. Trust in God is simply believing that he loves you. He's good. He has the power to help you. He wants to help you. And he will help you. I'm going to say it again. He loves you. He's good. He has the power to help you. He wants to help you. And he will help you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He's a good God. And he'll never give up on me. I want to show you real quickly. I want to look at these three key factors and trust in the credibility of the king in our text. Notice what he said. Number one, if you're taking notes, credibility, trust in his credibility. Number one, we have to learn to trust his thoughts. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. 
And it says, my, it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You got to understand. You got to trust his thoughts. Listen to this. First, about you. You are always on God's mind. You know how I know? The Bible says in Psalms 8 and 4, What is man that thou art mindful of him? He said, man, your mind is full of man. Your mind is always thinking about your creation. I said this, God always thinks the best of you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. He thinks the world of you because he said in John 3, 16, God so loved of the world that he gave his only begotten son not only does he thinks the world of you he thinks highly of you psalms 139 says this i will praise you for i'm fearfully and wonderfully made marvelous are your works and that my soul knows well my frame was not hidden from you when i was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest part your eyes saw my substance being yet formed and in your book they were all written the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them how precious also are your thoughts to your thoughts to me oh god how great is the sum of them if i should count them they would be more in number than the sand on the earth do you hear what he's saying how highly god thinks of you and i when he thinks about you he thinks highly of you he thinks great things about you you got to understand when God is describing Psalms 139 it, it, it echoes over in Ephesians where he said we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus that word workmanship it means a masterful art piece it means that if you study it out it's an art piece that thought went into it's an art piece that that that, that time went into when God thought about you and he thought about me and bringing us into existence it wasn't something that he got bored and decided to do but he said he thought deeply how am I going to make them how am I going to form them how am I going to create them he, 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 he included in us all of his artistic ability and that's what grace is no matter what you do no matter how you've fallen no matter how far you mess up you know what grace does grace takes a mess and turns it into a master Masterpiece because God Almighty knows that he thinks highly of you. His thoughts about you. His thoughts, you have to trust that his thoughts are beyond you. What do you mean? Romans eleven thirty three. it says this, 34. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who know, e who know enough to even give him advice? Who knows his thoughts? Who could counsel God? Who could give God advice? Who could direct him or who leading him? As a matter of fact, he questioned Job. So many questions. Who do you think to think that you can think on the level of God is what he's saying? And he said, that's why when you do think, he said, out here, let me, let me encourage you a little bit to tell you how far my thoughts are beyond you. He said, matter of fact, in Ephesians 3.20, he said, this is what I want you to do. He said, I want you to think of the greatest thing that you can think of. He said, he, oh, let me just say it like this. He said, I will do exceedingly and abundantly above all, watch this, you could ever ask or think. He said, think of the greatest things that you can ask. Think of the greatest thing that you can think 
And he said, I will far exceed that because my thinking is beyond that. It tells us the vast separation or the infinite gap between how God thinks and the way we think. And that's why Proverbs chapter 3, can I just teach a little bit, tells us to trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge him and he will direct our path. Trust in the Lord. Notice that trust has to do with your heart and not with your head. He didn't say trust with your head because your head get messed up sometimes. Your head will try to talk you out of everything God told you. Your head will have you looking crazy and thinking crazy. But when the word is in your heart, I have to go with what I have in my heart and not in my head because God doesn't look at the head. He looks at the heart. And he said, trust begins in the heart, not in your head. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not. That word lean means don't support your own self. Quit leaning on yourself. Don't support your own self. Lean not. Quit supporting yourself. Quit leaning on your ability. Quit leaning on your strength. Quit leaning on your talent. Quit leaning on your gift. And quit lean. He said, lean not to your own understanding. Oh, can I just teach if you don't mind? See, David said, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but I trust in the name of the Lord. Why is that important? Because David was teaching us something here. Day in David's time, chariots, men that were really wise and smart. The people that built chariots, they took some of the most educated and, 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 and intellectual people. There, It was their goal to make chariots the fastest and the sharpest. There were main, there were main vehicles of, uh, of battle. There were main vehicles of, of transportation. So they would take the sharpest people to continue to be innovative about making chariots faster and stronger. But David said, with all of the people, take every person up in the technological area of Silicon Valley. They can put all their intellect, they can put all their chips, they can put all their teaching into a chariot. But I need to tell you, do you remember when the anointing came on the prophet? The Bible said he outran a chariot. And what he's saying, you can trust on your intellect all you want to, but we need the anointing. The anointing can come on a natural man, give him supernatural speed, and outrun anything that ever been here human made. I need somebody to shout this morning that you trust in the credibility of the king. Understand. Paul, is this what happened to Paul? Paul's testimony penned these words in 1 Corinthians 2 after he had had probably one of his worst services ever on Mars Hill as he sit before the philosophers, as he sit before those who were intellectually smart. Historians of some say that, that, that Paul walked away from this, 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 this teaching discouraged. He walked away because he walked away. He understood that he allowed himself to revert back to ooh, intellectualism. He, re he, he allowed himself to, to revert back to how, he, how his philosophical mindset, his intellectual ability, because he thought 
all, I'm up here with all the intellectuals. I'm up here with all these city officials. I'm up here with all these key people. I'm up here with all these influences. So now I need to, I, you know, I just need to relate to them. I need to, re- ooh, that's a, I need to be relevant to them. So in order to be relevant, now I'm going to start back leaning on me. That's a problem in the church. We're not relevant by leaning on what we can do. We're relevant because we're led by the Holy Spirit. He knows what every person needs. But the Bible said Paul walked away discouraged and he pins these words when he came to 1 Corinthians 2. He said, now when I come to you, I know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. I came to you with fear and trembling. I came to you uh, trusting and depending on God. I threw all of my intellect down the drain. And he said, now when I stand before you, my preaching and teaching, it will be with demonstration and the power of the Holy Ghost. Why? So your faith will not be in the wisdom of men, but it will be in the power of God. Lord, that is our message today. Away with our wisdom. We need the power of God. We need the presence of God. We need the anointing of God. That's where faith belongs. Trust his thoughts. His thoughts are beyond you. His thoughts, watch this, are not always going to be explained to you. Life happens. Losses come. Hardships come. Tragedy has a tendency to visit all of our residents every now and then. Things that I don't quite understand. Young teenager gets killed in an accident or commits suicide. Young God-loving couple. Wife gets stricken with cancer. Prayed to be healed, but she dies. Economy goes bad. Hits your financial portfolio. Now it seems that your whole retirement is devastated. And in that moment, sometimes we begin to look to others. Even look to ourselves. And we begin to try to look at the circumstances and and, and, and pull all the pieces together and try to reason and figure out and try to determine uh, what, what, what could I have done or what, what, what shouldn't I have done. And, and I tried to come up as much as possible with something that could appease my understanding. Something that could just make sense of all this mess. Even we'll turn to our fellow believers and brothers and sisters in Christ and they'll tell us to trust God like I'm preaching to you today and believe in God and don't you hold on and don't but even that sometimes in those moments can just come off as just religious platitudes trying to ease us of our pain but what are you saying this morning I'm telling you I got a word for you this morning Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Listen, when it comes to understanding things, we have our territory and God has his. I'm going to say it again. We have our territory and God has his. He's not obligated to explain everything that happens in life. You see, God doesn't give explanations 
revelation, he gives commands. We can't live off explanations. We must live on promises. Charles Spurgeon put it like this. He said, God is too good to be unkind. He's too wise to be confused. If you can't trace his hand, you have to learn to trust his heart. Oh, I love that. He's too, listen, I'm going to say it again. He's too good to be unkind. He's too wise to be confused. And he can, And if you cannot trace his hand, you have to learn to trust his heart. Understand, sometimes when God won't give you a reason, he will often give you a revelation though. Ah, yes. What do you mean? Uh, I don't know. I don't know the reason by me. My brother's rejecting me, throwing me in a pit. I don't know the reason behind Potiphar's wife falsely accusing me and I didn't do anything wrong. I don't know the reason why I got thrown in, the, in this prison and forgotten by those that I helped when I'm down. I don't, I don't know the reason by that. But yet, Mr. Joseph, he didn't have a reason for the pit. He didn't have a reason for the prison, but oh, God had a promise for the palace. And in the end, that's why he said, God didn't explain. All God said the whole time, go back and read it. And the Lord was with him. And the Lord was with him. And the Lord, he didn't say, I'm going to explain this. What's going on? What's really happening? Joseph is it? Uh -uh. He just said, and the Lord was with him. Because see, oh God, see, faith will keep you out of something. Oh, God, but trust God will take you by the hand and lead you through something. But you have to understand whether it's faith or trust. I'm still in his hand. He'll either take me out of it or he'll walk me through it. And he got a revelation at the end. You meant it for my evil, but God meant it for my good. When he don't give a reason, he'll often give a revelation. I got to hurry. Trust his thoughts. But last, the second thing, trust his ways. For my ways are not your ways. And my, and my ways are higher than your ways. His ways are not always familiar. His ways sometimes appear foolish. His ways will seem unfair. But his ways will always require faith. I thought about this. You know, I'm, I'm originally from Georgia. And I don't know if this is popular here and I'm, I'm not sure but um, NASCAR racing is a big thing in the south anybody like I'm a boy this is a this is a real anybody know anything about NASCAR in here I didn't say Bentley's I didn't say Porsche I, I said NASCAR anybody come on don't be ashamed come on I got, I got one brother come on I got two that's gonna tell the truth but we got an altar call coming you'll get saved in a minute I got two that's, come on now but NASCAR, it's, it's where they race. It's a big thing in the South, NASCAR. But let me show you something. NASCAR, different from a lot of the sporting or, or race car events, the thing about a NASCAR is this. NASCARs aren't allowed to have external mirrors on their car. They can't have anything extending from the car on the left or right. A normal vehicle, you know, we have our, 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 our rear view mirrors on the side. We have our left and right. But NASCAR aren't allowed to have those. Because when they race, they get so close and they eventually fall off and break. But have you, if you ever watch NASCAR, there's, man, there's tons of cars. And you see guys moving in and out, going up and slowing down. Have you ever wondered, how do they do it without mirrors? Well, see, in NASCAR, they have something that they called a spotter. 
And the spotter, number one, he was a former driver. In other words, he did, he's already done what they're just now doing. Not only has he already done what they're just now doing, but the spotter goes up into the highest stands of the track. He's in the grandstands of the track. And what happens, the spotter is looking down on his race car. And what they do is they talk via two-way radio. In other words, the radio allows the driver to talk to the spotter, but it also allows the spotter to talk to the driver. And what the spotter does, because his driver has no mirror, because all he wants him to do is focus on what's in front of him. And so when it comes, oh God, when it comes for the driver to take a left or a right, the spotter will say, it looks good. Go ahead and move. And the driver can stay focused on what's in front of him. He don't have to look to the left nor look to the right, but he can keep his eyes on the promise. And when the spotter says move to the right, he moves. When he says move to the left, he moves. When he says slow down, he slows down. And when he says speed up, he speeds up. And the, here's, the, here's, the good, the, here's the thing that you got to get. Imagine the trust that has to be between the driver and the spotter. That driver is only listening to what the spotter is saying. He's not looking around. He's not looking at circumstance. He says, I'm going to be still until he speaks. I'm going to stay right here until he says, do something. Oh, I want to tell you this morning, uh, you may not know what NASCAR is in Southern California, but the Bible says uh, that we are all in a race uh, and we have a spotter whose name is Jesus. He's already ran the race. He's been where we're trying to go we have the two way of prayer to talk to him to talk back to us and listen he sees what you don't see he sees the whole track and you don't understand when he says go left you don't understand when he says go right but his ultimate goal is to get you to the finish line I wish you would shout and say trust in the credibility of the king we have a spotter that's on high His ways are higher. His ways sometimes, let me say this, may not be familiar. Do you remember what God told Joshua? He said, he said there should be a space between you and the Ark of the Covenant. Keep some space so you can see where, where, where the Ark is going, which represents the presence of God. He said, because you are about to go away that you've never gone before. You've not seen this way before. You've not seen this route before. And why was that important to Joshua? Because they were getting ready to cross the Jordan. And see, let, let, let me tell you what the Lord said, what spoke to my heart. Is this right? I wrote it down. He was breaking Joshua's familiarity. What do you mean? Because see, Joshua was a part of that generation that came. Come on. He, he, he was Moses' Moses's protege. He knew the last time they faced water, God said, stretch forth the staff. And see, Joshua could have said, oh, we got this. I've been here before. I know what God is going to do. We've been here before. I know how he deals with water. But God said, uh-uh. 
my ways are not your ways. He said, no, I'm not going to let you keep going down the path of familiarity. He said, instead of a staff stretching forth, I'm going to require the priest to step in. And listen, the ultimate goal was to get them through the water. But in one generation, he stretched forth the staff. But in another generation, he said, I need you to step in. And so God said, I don't want you to get so used to what I used to do that you keep going back to what I used to do and you can't follow what I'm doing now. He said, look at my presence. Uh, keep my presence in front of you. Keep my word in front of you. Remember not the former things, uh, neither the things of the old. Uh, behold, I will do a new thing. His ways are not always familiar, but it doesn't mean he's not guiding you. They're not familiar. Sometimes they'll feel, uh, appear foolish. Here, watch my time. His ways seem foolish sometimes. The Bible said God will use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. They seem foolish sometimes. But what do you mean by that? I thought about David and Goliath. Because listen, let's look at it. When David went up to Goliath, naturally thinking, he should have used that armor. I know it didn't fit, but they should have found some that fit him. They've been fighting people forever. And now you got a shepherd boy who's going to battle. See, seemingly it was foolish to all them, to the natural men's mind. Those who were natural men, mere men, dependent on their military strength. It was foolish for David not to take that armor. That's foolish. But the Bible said, watch this. David went to a brook. And he got five smooth stones. Let me make a side point. The problem with us is that we're too busy going to the battle before we first go to the brook. See, the brook is a flowing body of water. The brook represents the Holy Spirit flowing and the water moving. We're going to jump to battle, but we hadn't been in the brook. Notice that he got for battle, not with what he had. What he needed for the battle wasn't was with man. What he needed for the battle was in the brook. What you need is not what somebody can give you. What you need is what God has for you in his presence. But the Bible, here's what I'm going to show you. The Bible said he got stones. Now, wait a minute. I want you to notice this. This grabbed my attention. David knew how to fight a little bit because he fought a lion. Then he fought a bear. Now he's fighting a giant Philistine. But notice he was a shepherd. And every shepherd has a shepherd's staff. But now, I'm, I, I believe that when he fought the lion, he had a staff. When he fought the bear, he had a staff. But now God says you're about to go from a staff to a stone. Notice, watch this. His problem got bigger, but his weapon got smaller. I'm going to mess my leg up. I'm about to run. His problem got bigger. His weapon got smaller. You know why? Because his trust had to grow greater. Because what do you do? Oh, Jesus. Some of you are up against problems you've never seen. You're up, somebody's up against a financial problem. And you got the least amount of money that you ever had. And if you had the money, you'd be okay. But I'm going to tell you, just because it's least, it doesn't mean that it's less than. Because little becomes much when it's placed in the hand of God. You come at me. Oh, my. You don't understand. 
David had least, but he did greater. He went from a staff to a stone, but conquered his greatest power because he knew to trust in the Lord. What do you do? I got to hurry when it seems unfair. When it seems unfair. Why did this have to happen to me? His ways seem unfair. His ways seem unfair. You know the story of Job, and I don't have time to go in it. Losing everything, family members, properties, possessions. But one scripture always blessed me about Job. Because the Bible said this, it said that in all these things, God did not, Job did not sin nor charge God foolishly. Job said, the world, good man, faithful man. Love God, love people, family man, honoring God. But the Bible said in all the tragic that he faced, he said he did not charge God foolishly. But as you stand to your feet, this is what I felt strongly in our rep. I got two more points. Trust his, his process and trust his word. I'm gonna, I'll have to do it in the next service. I don't have time. But let me say this. I wrote into my notes, the enemy is trying to distort some of your trust in the credibility of God. Things have not changed. Things have not happened like you thought it was going to happen and when it was going to happen. And some of you have become frustrated and aggravated and allowed the enemy to come in with discouragement. And for some, you've even begun to subtly question. But I believe God brought you to this house today to shut the mouth of the enemy, to cast down those lies, to pull down that doubt and fear and anxiety and worry and tell you I'm credible. I'm good for it. I got you. I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you to give you a hope and a future. I am the God that can cause all things to work together for your good. All things aren't good, but I can redeem good out of, if you'll just trust me. If you trust me, you'll prosper. If you trust me, you'll be planted. If you trust me, you'll be protected. If you trust me, you'll be preserved. If you trust me, you'll continue to produce. Lean not to your own understanding. But trust me, throw your hands up right now. And can you just declare, Lord, I trust you. Come on, say, Lord, I trust you. Come on, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I trust you. Come on. Come on, I want you to think about that thing. Talk to your spotter right now. Come on, there's some things that you don't understand. You feel like you're going one way and another way, and it doesn't make sense. Talk to your spotter right now. Come on, get on the two-way radio of prayer and begin to say, Lord, I trust you. Lord, show me what to do. You guide me and lead me. I realize today I don't need an explanation, but I'm just going to be obedient. You don't give explanations, but you give commands. What's your command? What would you have me to do? What would you have me to say? What would you have 
where would you have me to go? I don't understand. I don't want, I don't get it, but it doesn't matter about that. Today I'm declaring I'm no longer leaning on my own understanding, but I'm acknowledging you. I'm acknowledging you. I'm acknowledging you for you to direct my path. That word direct actually means make straight your path. God said, if you'll acknowledge me, if you'll cry out to me, if you'll call on my name, if you'll get on the two-way radio, I know how to make the crooked places straight. I know how to make the rough areas plain. I know how to exalt the valleys and bring the mountains down low. Acknowledge him right now. Acknowledge him right now. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are blessed.